You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Um, Liz and I are going to continue ministering. Um, we can't both have our, I'll put my iPad down here. Here we go. I need it. I need my notes. I can't do that. I so need we notes. need two pulpits when we both <laughs> preach. We'll, we'll make it work. So a table. We're a gonna, table would be good. A table before us in the presence of our enemies? Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're not our enemy. Nobody thinks my jokes are funny. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> we've already established that 10 years ago that my jokes are not funny. But I still continue to try anyways because I'm just the kind of guy that doesn't like to quit. Um, so we're going to continue ministering on the spirit of mammon. And who was not here last week or the who's not here last week? Let me just ask you that. Okay, well, you need to go back and listen. All right, we're going to give you a quick little um, uh, uh, review. Yeah, and yeah. I'll just say listen from the last two weeks. Yeah, the last two last weeks. Week is this list, and then the week before is just our testimony about freedom from mammon. Yeah, yeah, amen. So both of those things are important, and so this isn't just something we're just sharing on, but this is something we've really been set free from and continue to walk in freedom concern, concerning the spirit of mammon. And you know, a lot of people are not familiar um, you know, with demonic spirits and, and how the enemy works, and so we've laid out as much as we can with the time that we've had so far to help you understand that. But understand this, the devil hates you, and he's looking yeah. to destroy you. And I find that finances are one of the most important things for us to get set right. Why? Because money is the most important thing. No, money actually is the least important thing. But if it's out of order, then it usually means that everything else is out of order in our life. And I can tell you that that's true from pastoring for a lot of years. When I find somebody that's got like everything is just all messed up. Now, it's not that when you get your finances straight that it fixes everything else. But it's like that's where you start. It's the least area of stewardship. And so it's like, you know, if you're going to if you're going to um, climb up a ladder, you know, you don't you don't start in the middle. You start at the bottom rung. Well, finances are the bottom rung. And so if something is out of order in finances. It's like it's like it's a ceiling there that keeps us from going higher in the Lord. And it's not the Lord saying you can't go higher in me, but it's just something we have to get set in our, in our heart and our thinking that finances that God has given them to us to be a steward over them, and we are supposed to own them. We are supposed to be ruler over our money, and our money is not supposed to be ruler over us. And that really is the difference between whether you're trusting in mammon or you're trusting in the Lord, is that if your money is ruling you, then uh, you are actually serving mammon. But if you are ruling your money in the sense that you are a steward over what God has given you, then you are serving God with your money. Now, that's strong language, but that's what Jesus said. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. And then the next verses, and this is found in Matthew chapter 6, and we've read it a couple times already together, so I won't go back and read it again, but in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about this, and he says, uh, therefore, don't worry. So it's the trusting and the worrying or not worrying and where we're putting our trust and whether the things of this life and the financial and the, the monetary things are ruling us or we are ruling them. Yeah. And if you're staying awake at night worried about money and you wake up worried about money and, you know, there's a lot of things about that. And we're going to get into some more of that stuff here tonight. But if, if money's consuming you, then you need to come out from underneath of it, be set free. And, man, you're going to see increase happen in your life. Because when you learn how to steward this, it'll open up the door to a lot of other stuff. And this is where both of us, without going back in our testimony, this is where we both were. We were underneath of the spirit of mammon, and God set us free, and we've just continued to walk in freedom in this area. So praise God. So let's do this. Let's pull up. And look, we got a center screen here. I like this. So um, let's pull up the last the last slide from last week, and we're going to run through these really quickly. So the question is, for those of you that weren't here, are you a slum um, is a very derogatory term. But um, a slum is someone living under mammon. Are you someone living under mammon? And these are like signs or symptoms of somebody that could be living underneath of the spirit of mammon to where it's it's ruling and reigning 
and your heart concerning the area of finances, all right? So number one, we're going to go through this quickly because we've got a whole other section of things we're going to go through tonight. Number one is if you worry about money. Uh, number two uh, is if you're the kind of person that says, I just can't afford it. And you're always, you look at something, it's like, oh, I can't afford that, or I can't buy that, or I can't get this, or I can't get that. Like, if that's your attitude. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I can't afford that. I mean, I'll be honest with you right now. We were looking at online at houses, and some of them were like, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000. I cannot afford that, all right? <laughs> but it's not an attitude that I carry everywhere I go. Like, well, I can't afford that. I can't buy that. No, I can't buy that. You know, my, a friend of mine one time, was I was in a... Uh, in the gas station with him, and it just clicked with him. And he does really well financially, but he really likes smart water. But every time he'd go in, everybody had smart water in here before? It's so smooth and delicious. But he would go in, and he would buy, like, you know, the Casey's brand water or the Great Value, you know, the, the cheaper one. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to buy, buy that. But he had this mentality all, all the time of, like, I can't afford the smart water. I can't afford the expensive stuff. And I think there's probably a level of stewardship there, and you probably shouldn't drink smart water all the time. But, you know, whatever, to each their own. But he had this mentality of, like, I can't afford that. I can't buy that. And you know what that is? That's just that's a spirit of mammon telling you and determining how you're going to live because of this mentality of, like, no, no, I can't buy that. I can't afford it. That's what this is talking about here. So, all right? It's, just, it's living from a place of lack. Yeah, it's living from it a place of lack. Place. You think in lack. You yeah. dream in lack. You believe lack all the time. Yeah. Amen. So number three here is stinginess, and stinginess is being unwilling to release what you do have. And then, and then number four is greed, and greed is wanting more of what you already have. It's, it's wanting to heap more upon yourselves. And so the difference between stinginess and greediness is just that. It's, it's the difference between being willing to let loose, um, and uh, you might be able to be willing to let loose, but you always got to have more of the thing that you have, and that's greed. Uh, and so five is money mismanagement. So if you've ever been, let's see a show of hands. No, I'm just kidding. But if you've ever mismanaged money, and probably everybody in here has been in that situation at some point in your life to where you look at the last year and it's like, what happened to the $50,000 I made or however much money you made or whatever? What happened to that money? That's what we call money mismanagement. And so we lived that way for a long time to where we didn't know heads and tails. We didn't know what was going on with our finances. And we are still increasing. We have not arrived Praise God, we haven't arrived, but we have left. Yeah. You just, you know, you got to get on this journey and just leave and take control of this thing so it doesn't control you. Right. You don't, I don't know that you ever arrived to a level of perfection, but right. you move forward. Right. But I listened to one time, this, this one uh, very, very wealthy Christian businessman that I listened to, and uh, he, uh, he said something that really, like, really opened up my eyes because I think sometimes we have this mentality about people that have a lot of money. I know I used to of like, oh, they got tons of money and they just do whatever. You know, they just take their money and they just, they just do whatever. But most people that are wealthy, unless they inherited it, inherited it, they had to work and save and be particular and be good stewards over it in order to get a lot of money, in order to get a lot of wealth. And I want to I say something here for the record. Um, I go, I've gone years before without ministering on money. I minister what the Lord tells me to minister on. I just release what he tells me to release. So I'm talking about money here because this is what the Lord has told me to minister on, not because I think money is the most important thing. Again, it's the least. It really is the least because Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, he said that if, if you are not faithful to steward what is another man's, and he was speaking about finances. You go, go and read it for yourself. He said, if you're not faithful to steward what is another man's, who will entrust you with the true riches? True riches is not money. True riches are people. It's eternal things. It's heavenly things. It's kingdom things. That is the, that is the true riches. Probably everybody in here, on some level, you want to be used by God. You want to go further in your relationship with God and ministering to people and making a difference? Is there anybody in here that doesn't want to make a difference? Probably nobody doesn't want to make a difference. Everybody wants to make a difference. You know where the starting place is? Taking your finances, really actually changing your languages, language, the finances that God has given you, recognizing that you're only a steward and saying, Lord, how do you want me to steward your finances? That actually is the place to start. And this wealthy guy that I was listening to, this Christian businessman, and we're talking, we're talking mega, mega wealthy. And he said, he said, I don't take $100 out of my, my bank account without my wife knowing it. 
Now, you're talking about a guy, a guy that has tens of millions of dollars, like he was that wealthy, tens of millions of dollars, and he doesn't take $100 out without his wife knowing about it. And when I heard that, I thought, that's a different way of thinking. And when I looked at how much money he had and how much money I had, I thought, maybe I ought to think a little bit more like that. And he also, he said, you know what you need to do? He said, you need to go and you need to keep every receipt for, I forget what he said, uh, uh, six months or a year three or something, months. three months. And he said, you, then you need to see how much money you spend. We just spend so much money. And listen, I'm, I'm not trying to pull, uh, how, what's the saying go, the verse about pulling a, don't pull up. Uh, speck out of someone else's eye when you got a log, uh, log in your own eye, all right? I realize I am not perfect at this, but we've gotten better at this. But, man, we go to gas stations, and we run into the store here, and we go there, and we go everywhere, and we have money that just flies out of our pocket, and then we wonder why we struggle financially. We should know every single dollar um, what's happening with every single dollar that comes into our possession. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Amen. Uh, because if you don't know what's what's going on, I mean, you may not know how much money is in your piggy bank, but, you know, within reason. But if you don't know what's going on with your money, how can you manage it properly? There's no way you can be a good steward of really not our money, but of God's money if we don't know what's going on with it. Amen. So uh, number five is money mismanagement. Again, these are signs or symptoms of someone living under mammon. Consistent financial lack, and some of these are really tied together. If you have money mismanagement, you'll probably have consistent financial lack. Number seven is impulse buying. Also can cause you to have consistent financial lack. Uh, bondage to debt, and this is someone that just has a mentality of always staying in debt. It doesn't, just because you've got a car loan or a house loan doesn't mean you're living under mammon. So there's a balance to all of this. Uh, number nine is if you're constantly discontent, you're always, just always having to have more, the next thing or whatever, that can be a sign. And number 10 is just an overemphasis on money's ability to do whatever you think it is that money can do. And and it's really just a... a uh, um, and uh, sometimes a, a way of exalting money, and people are not really aware that they're doing it. They're almost idolizing money without realizing that they've made money an idol. And so, and that's where people can get into getting into the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Amen. So and I would just say, you know, money is a tool. That's it right. is what we use in in this world right now to exchange goods. Like we have money now so we don't have to go bring our cattle and change cattle for a thing of grain. Hallelujah. We have money. So it's taking money and putting it in its proper place saying you are a tool that I'm going to use, not a tool that will use me. That's right. Yeah, so. and that's good because I am fresh out of cows. So that's a good <laughs> that's a good thing. So you know, yeah, exactly. They're a lot easier. Dollar bills are a lot easier to put in your pocket than yes. like a cow. I have to get something right here. It's right. just right there. <laughs> oh, I smeared it. What is that? I don't, know. I don't know, but I can't look at it anymore. Okay, we got it. Okay, it's good. It's awesome. You can't look at my face. No, anymore. it was just that thing on the corner of your mouth right there. I don't know. Is it gone? Huh? Is it gone? It's gone now. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, hey, the worst thing is, is when you have something on your face or wrong with you and people don't tell you. Oh, like, dude, I hate tell that. Tell people. When I, I eat salad or, you know, like any lettuce stuff, it always gets stuck in my teeth right there. And I've, have you ever done that before? And then you you get done with the meal and you go in the bathroom. It's like, what? Sitting there for 45 minutes with them. They didn't say anything. So <laughs> I know one time I walked around, I had like, I guess, lipstick across my forehead. And I was walking around for hours. And finally, I was talking to people I knew. And nobody said anything to me. And I walk into Dollar Tree of all places. And the guy's like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Your head's bleeding. And I was like, my head's bleeding? He's like, oh, no, it's just a smear. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I've got Anyways. one. I've got two better for you. I, I didn't know what Ash Wednesday was, and so when I was, when I was, <laughs> I was in business, and this one lady that I, I worked for, she was really great to work for, and she gave me a lot of business, and she was Catholic, and I didn't know what Ash Wednesday was, and this lady is like, she, she's like mega wealthy, and um, she owned this business, and I did work for her. And I come in, and she had this big black mark across her forehead. <laughs> and I didn't know. I didn't know what Ash Wednesday was. I didn't know that people put ash across their forehead. That's so strange. But anyways, they do that. 
And so I opened up my mouth and I said, you've got something on your on your head, Alan. And she looked at me like, and you're because I'd started ministering at this point, And she's like, and you're a you're a minister. <laughs> OK, anyways, let me give you the better one. All right. We are way <laughs> off track. So I that's OK. It's story time with Kent and Liz. Um, I was <laughs> I was working in this house and I go I go inside the house and um, <laughs> I come back out and I parked I parked under the wrong tree and I'm telling you I my it was it, to say my truck was covered was an example or an exaggeration to say it was covered with bird poop but I mean it was it was pretty close I mean it was it had a lot of bird poop on it but apparently when I was going into the house it pooped on me as well. And I had bird poop all over my my jacket. It was like fall time or winter time or something. I had a jacket on. I had bird poop, and I and I noticed it, and I was like, "Oh man, I can't believe that!" And I took it off, and I didn't wear it the rest of the day. <laughs> and so I get um, I get all the way home, and look in the mirror, and it had also pooped in my hair, and I had crusty bird poop in my hair for hours, going in and out of people's homes on the stuff. <laughs> It pays to be short because I would have people would see that on my head and be like, "You have burp." Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Praise the Lord. So. <laughs> see, it's good to laugh. It is good, good to, laugh. to laugh. It is good to laugh. Amen. I needed to laugh. <laughs> so, um, okay, we're gonna continue ministering if you guys are okay with that. That's all the stories we have for tonight. Maybe. Uh, maybe I don't know. There's just there's no telling. I mean, you prepare a message and you don't know what's gonna come out sometimes. <laughs> Um, but here's what I want to do. I want to talk about um, the way that mammon actually, the way it manifests. And it basically comes through two different veins. And we're going to talk about one of those tonight, and we're going to talk about the other one next week, all right? And so the first way or the first vein and how it manifests is through fear. And so mammon manifests both through fear and flesh. Sometimes it's probably hard to distinguish the two. Sometimes it could be a combination of both, but mammon will manifest through one or both of those areas. And so we're going to talk about uh, fear uh, tonight. And so if we could pull up the fear slide, the first fear slide, we've got some different slides we're going to look at here tonight. And so here is uh, fear. Again, mammon manifests through fear. And fear and we're going to show you this next week and this week, but both fear and flesh have a, have a spectrum to them in terms of how, uh, how mammon will manifest through, through both of those. And so on one end of the fear spectrum is uh, somebody or just the idea of remaining ignorant of, of facts. And yeah. for Liz and I, this actually probably were, is where she was at yeah. big time when she was dealing with mammon. And she was unwilling to look at what was going on uh, with our finances. And I guess I was in the same boat, too, because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm trusting Jesus. But I never looked at her bank account. I never knew how much money we had. I always left it up to her, which is, which is not good. Both, you know, it's okay to have one person in the marriage that does a lot of the bookkeeping, but both people need to know what's going on. And I was, I was not being a good steward because I did not know what was going on with our finances. Well, she, and I, and honestly, it was not very good. My, my job as a husband, because I was offering her no support because I didn't know what was going on. But I also wasn't communicating it because I thought, you know, what I don't know won't hurt me. And if I do know it, then I'm going to have to deal with it. So I just rather of not look at it in hopes that I thought I was operating in faith, saying it will get taken care of. It's going to be no problem. It's going to be fine. But actually, I was just saying that is not wisdom. God says, you That's know, right. to know the state of your flock. He That's talks right. about that in Proverbs. And if we don't know, then how can we go forward? How do we even know at what level we need to trust God if we are unwilling or stay in this place of ignorance. Yeah. So yeah, it's that, not a good place to be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of times people will, they'll remain ignorant and say, well, hey, I'm just trusting the Lord and they don't have any idea what's going on. That's not wisdom. God wants us to know what's going on and, and be in faith. Faith is not denying a problem exists. I was I kind of had this mentality for a long time. Like I thought, like if I didn't pay attention to it, um, and I was 
denying its existence, then, then I was in faith. Faith is not denying that a problem exists. Faith is denying the problem influence in your life. Right. This is like just like David. David was able and he was willing and he was able to go stand before Goliath and say, who are you yeah. compared to my God? Now that is faith because he knew his God was well able, but then he also knew that the giant was nothing when you compared him to God. So you can't um, overcome what you're unwilling to face. That's exactly and that right. is like exactly this place that I was. And I can remember so specifically like the Lord telling me this. He said, you cannot overcome this thing if you are unwilling to face it in the eye. And I I, he said, I want you to open your bank account every morning, and I want you to speak to it. I want you to open up every place of debt, and I want you to begin to speak to it. And for me, that was just like the starting place of like just not remaining ignorant anymore. And I had to like overcome. Like this was fear. This was Goliath. I was like saying, you are so big. <laughs> you are, And I was, you know, magnifying him instead of magnifying the Lord. But as I was willing to face that giant, then all of a sudden I was like, oh, my gosh, you aren't really that big of a deal when I compare you to the Lord God Almighty. Yeah, that's exactly so. right. Yeah, that, I love that you can't defeat something that you're that you're unwilling to face. David was willing to face the, the, the lion and the bear. Um, and, and Goliath. And because he faced them, he was able to defeat them. And so we have to be willing to look at whatever situation we're dealing with and look at it head on. And so remaining ignorant doesn't change the problem. We have to know what's going on in order for us to take proper steps to be able to adjust it. And not everything when it comes to finances is spiritual. A lot of it is extremely practical. And this is an, this is a, an area I think the church has missed it in a lot. And I know I can speak for myself that it's like, I'm trusting Jesus and me and Jesus are, we're going together on this thing and I'm going to be a millionaire. And then you don't have any idea how much money you have. You spend more than you uh, make. You constantly are, are, are acquiring new debt and you just complete money mismanagement and you're in fear and all of these different things that are going on. And so there's a total lack, and I say you, I just mean any of us that that would apply to, nobody in specific. Um, all of these things going on and then saying Jesus is going to take care of me. And part of the way that Jesus takes care of us is giving us wisdom to handle things properly. And so we can't have wisdom and apply area uh, wisdom in an area that we don't have any idea about what's going on. So remaining ignorant, if you find yourself in that place, it is a fear issue. And I, I don't want to get off on this. This could take too long, but... But demonic spirits work together. They clump together to try and, and cause people to, to be, to come into or remain in bondage. And fear is something that works with a lot of different demonic spirits, uh, principalities, if you will. And I'm not trying to get into demonology because that's too deep for some people or they just don't care. But you have to understand the enemy is strategic in how he does things. And he has, because the Bible says that, um, you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, um, da, 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 whatever it says there. And then it says, um, well, let me, since I'm on it, let me just read it real quickly so I can say it right, so I can get it right. Um, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against uh, powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so you can kind of hear in there that there's a rank and file in the, in the demonic realm. There's a rank and file in the kingdom of God, but also that's the way that the enemy works too. And it really all he does is tries to copy, he tries to copy what the Lord does and he just perverts everything and messes everything up. That's basically how the enemy works. And so you have to understand, he will send and give assignments to demonic spirits to bring people into captivity. Whether you're talking about a full-blown, someone being possessed by a devil, because there are people that are literally possessed with one or more demons, and they need those demons expelled out of them. But there's a lot of people who are simply dealing with a mind that has been polluted by the enemy. And I heard a man say this uh, years ago, and when I heard this, I thought, oh, that's garbage. Um, and I've learned to not say it's not say that's junk or garbage or I don't believe that about something that I don't know anything about. And years ago, I heard this man say he said nine out of ten people 
are dealing with the spirit of fear, including born-again Christians. And I thought, oh, that's not me. Well, I was definitely one of the, I was definitely, actually, I was all nine of the people. <laughs> I mean, I was really dealing with fear on a major level. And so a lot of people deal with fear in a lot of different areas, and finances is one of them. That's why Jesus said, take no thought concerning these things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry. And it's because people have a tendency to get into fear and to worry, and then they mess everything up. Because when we are in fear, we are not trusting God. When we're not trusting God, we're not hearing clearly. And when we're not hearing clearly, we will not do things accurately. Can I get a big amen? So praise God. So one, one way that this fear manifests is just through um, just remaining ignorant. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is where you have to know every single detail, everything that's going on. If we could pull that next slide up there, it would be great. <clears throat> so the other end of the spectrum is that you have to know or you must know every detail. And so this, is, this also is fear because if you've ever been, and this is maybe, I would say there's more people that fall on the left side of remaining ignorant than the other side, but there are a lot of people to where when it comes to their finances, they have to know every little bitty detail. And it's and it, literally, these are two polar opposite extremes of each other, but you've seen that, or maybe you're one of those people that have that tendency to where you have to know every little bitty thing that's going on. And there's a balance between being a good steward and knowing what's going on with your stuff versus I have to know every single thing and being freaked out about what's going on because you have to know and control every little bitty detail, and that will cause you to be in fear as well, or fear will, fear will work through that way uh, as well. And so either one of these things, here's, and let's go to the next slide, here is the end result of either one of these things of fear, however it manifests on either end of the spectrum, is it destroys your peace. Ultimately, this is what matters, is that when you're dealing with fear, it destroys your peace. You won't sleep well, you, you won't eat right, you won't eat enough, or you'll eat too much. Americans usually eat too much, so there's probably a lot of fear going on, amen? So we all deal with the battle of the bolts. But uh, anyways, so that's what happens, is we dis we, our peace gets destroyed. Jesus has come that we would have peace with God, but also that, that we would have peace within ourselves, and that we would be ruled by the prince of peace, not by the spirit of fear. Peace is in opposition to fear. And we're supposed to remain in peace. We're supposed to be in peace all the time. Praise God. And so one of the things that, we, that will destroy our, our peace is fear. And again, we're talking specifically in the area of finances, but this can apply to any and every situation. So then what's the solution? Next slide, please. So the solution is shift your focus to the true source. Hallelujah. That's how you fix this. That's how you fix the fear problem. And I know that I'm speaking to people in here. Either you've been in fear and finances or you are in fear and finances or, you know, you've been in and out of dealing with fear concerning finances and what you need to do. And if you're dealing with fear in any area, the solution's the same is you shift your focus. Because if you'll take your focus and take it off of the problem and put it onto the solution, then it begins to change things for you internally. You begin right. to minister to your own soul that way. Right. And I was just going to say, you just you shift um, your perspective, which is so important, and then you just shift your position. You actually take yourself out of being in this uh, world, out of peace. So, you know, when we're in God, we're in peace, and so it's a positional thing. The Lord never moves. He never That's shifts. Right. He never shakes. He is 100% steady and stable all of the time forever and ever and ever yeah. so our question is is am i steady am i secure am i at peace if the answer is no then it's like okay i have to reposition ourselves and sometimes it's like it's so easy to say that it's harder to do but it's like we have to actually do it we have to do it so that we can be the victorious ones that we're called to be yeah that's exactly and right. that we can be in control like, we're called to be in control over money and it not control us. Yeah, that's exactly right. Amen. Yep. That's a good word. So we're going to give you two, uh, two quick things here about how to 
um, how to shift your focus. You're like, how, how do I actually do this? So we're going to give you two things. And now the first one here, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2 and 6 the, and, and 7. And this is so good for anything. The question is, am I lacking peace? And if you go back and say, okay, where am I lacking peace? Then this will work, not just for finances, but for every right. area of your life. Because we are called to be peaceful people. So when we shift our focus to our true source, then we will remain yeah, in peace. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so the first way that we do that, here's here's tip or trick number one, all right, that you do in order to shift your focus is that you get into thanksgiving. And so here in Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 7 Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So what will you, and just leave that verse up there for a moment. What will you abound in with thanksgiving? I think I heard it. Faith. You'll abound in faith. And and faith um, works just like peace is in opposition to fear. And so if you need to get rid of fear, you need to shift your focus and you do that by coming into a place of praise and thanksgiving. Because when you praise God and you thank him, first of all, if you're thanking him, then you are recognizing what he has already done. And so you're looking at the provision and not at the problem. But if you are, if you're praising him, what you're doing is you are exalting him. You're exalting who he is. You're exalting his ability. You're exalting his power and you're exalting his provision over anything else that would be opposite of that. (laughs) And so when you do that, it's, it's automatic. It's like if you ever had a pair of binoculars, which I'm sure everybody in here has looked through a pair of binoculars. You know, if you look through the big end, everything looks uh, small, right? If you look through the, to, through the bigger lens on the wrong side, everything you're looking at looks really far away. Well, a lot of times we'll look at being in the middle of something and we'll, we're looking through the wrong end trying to see God. Yeah. What we need to do is we need to turn those binoculars around and we need to look through the correct end and it will actually magnify God. The thing is, is it doesn't change. When you look at the binoculars, it doesn't change the object that you're looking at. It only changes your perspective on the object that you're looking at. So praise and thanksgiving is like taking a pair of binoculars, looking through the correct end and pointing them towards God. You actually magnify God in your heart and your mind. This is where there's verses, um, I'm I'm drawing a blank, but uh, David talked about this, about, oh, magnify the Lord. That's what he was saying. He was saying, put God in front of you, put God in your peripheral, put God in your backside. So everywhere you turn and everywhere you look, all you're seeing is your provision and you're not seeing the problem. Now, this doesn't mean you remain ignorant of your problem. I'm not trying to go against what we talked about earlier. But when you're dealing with your problem, you have to look to, look unto your, the, the solution or your source, which is God. Right. Amen. And it, that's exactly what David did because he said, who are you, Goliath, um, you uncircumcised Philistine? So he was saying, like, I am in covenant with the Lord God Almighty, and you are nothing right. when I compare you to my God. So his perspective was on who God was and who he was with God and not what that giant was because everybody else, nobody could go and face Goliath. And Goliath was taunting them and, and you know, just making them shudder. And, and nobody wanted to go out and face him because they were all fearful of him. They, they were looking on Goliath instead of looking on the Lord. And here David comes, all he was doing is coming to bring his brother's lunch. Okay, come on. And then he was like, why are you guys afraid of this? He's nothing. And so he, because he knew who God was. And then he took that place and then he defeated Goliath. That's right. As, As a matter of fact, his words were, he said, who is 
this uncircumcised Philistine to defy yes. the armies of the living God. Yes. And when he was saying uncircumcised Philistine, he was saying, who is this non-covenant person to come against somebody who's in covenant with the living God? And when you're dealing with fear, you're dealing with mammon, you're dealing with lack, you're dealing with issues, you need to look directly at your lack. Just like what Liz was talking about earlier, you need to speak to the problem. Yes. You need to speak to the mountain. You need to speak to the fig tree. You need to speak to the thing and command it to die. Because that thing, whatever it is, excuse me, that you're dealing with, it is not in covenant with your God, but you are in covenant with God. Who is mammon? What is lack? What is sickness? What is anything compared to who you are and what you have with your God? I love it. Because the thing about being in covenant is that you're one. When you come into covenant, you're one. So all the benefits and blessings that God has belong to you. Everything that Jesus was given has been given to you. You know what it says, that we are joint heirs with him? It's not saying that Jesus was the heir to the throne, and we kind of were, but we just got a little bit of the scraps and the leftovers. (laughs) No, it's saying everything that Jesus had, because we are joint heirs with him, we got the equal amount of what Jesus got. My God. When you begin to think like this shifts your perspective and all of a sudden you start thinking like a king instead of like a pauper like you are kings and priests you are child your children of god you are seated with him you are his sons and you are his daughters and you are no longer paupers so we have to change and and praising and thanksgiving helps change our mindset change our perspective changes our language come on come on how many times do we need to change our language do we agree with the problem or do we agree with the solution? And sometimes we might not believe it, but as we speak it forth out of our mouth, then we begin to partner with heaven's language yes. instead of this earthly language. And then because we're repositioned, then all of a sudden wisdom comes and all of a sudden all these other things come and things begin to get straightened out. Yeah. And Amen. I love that. So that is a good question. Like even even when you go home and when you're going about your day, begin to just really be mindful of what you are speaking forth out of your mouth and say like sometimes we we just we have to acknowledge where we're at. And that isn't a problem. If you are, you know, partnering with fear or partnering with just the lack it's 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 not okay. You need to get there, but you have to acknowledge what you're doing so that you can begin to move forward. Yes. And then that's why I was saying earlier, like partner with the word of God and begin to speak it forth because it is alive and it is active and it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will begin to change things and it will begin all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm hearing something different. And then it gets in your ears and then it gets in your heart and then all of a sudden it becomes your new natural default instead of the old thing that you were saying. Like, and here's the thing, fear is always going to try to creep in. Like it's a constant thing in this world. And so we have to just recognize it and deny it but it's not enough to say no you have to speak forth the word of God because the word of God is the thing that causes the change it's a thing that renews your mind it's the thing that causes the transformation to come and so ask yourself what am I saying and is this partnering with the word of God and if it's not it's okay. Just begin to open up. I mean, every word is is written and it is profitable, even the does and the and. So if all you, and here's the thing, Jesus is profitable. So all you know how to say right now is Jesus, or sometimes I would just open the word and I'd be like, I'm just going to read this. And I don't know if it makes any sense, but that's okay because it's the word of God and it will produce fruit in my life. So start there. Yeah. Amen. You know, you said something that was, I want to go back and just hit really quickly. You said, you know, talked about how that we're kings and priests. And, you know, Jesus is the king of kings. So he is 
the very top, but he's the king of kings. You are a, I guess if you're a woman, you're a queen, all right? But you are a king. What that means is that you have authority. You are the one that carries heaven's authority on the earth. Jesus isn't here anymore. So who, who, who's the one that carries heaven's authority on the earth? It's us. It's exactly right. We are the ones that do that. And the way that we enforce heaven's authority, heaven's reality, is by taking the word of God and releasing, releasing it out of our mouth into our situation. I mean, there's so much power in the words that we speak. Praise God. That's why it says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And whatever it is that you're speaking is the fruit that you're actually eating. So yeah. eat the good fruit, which is the word of Amen. God, and it gets seed into you, and then you speak it forth, and then it gets seed out, and then you see the benefits, and then you can keep eating the fruit of it. Amen. Whew. Right on. Right on. Praise so God. Good, good word. So we're going to get this. So number one, all right, so these are a couple of uh, – um, ideas or tips to help you be able to shift your focus. Number one is just Thanksgiving. It's the first place you can go to. But the second one is to acknowledge what you already have in your possession. So John chapter 6, and we're going to read just a few verses here. John chapter 6, and we'll finish with this. Verse 4. Man, this is so powerful. John 6 and 4, and it says, Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his voice and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of, the, that every one of them uh, may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. I want you to notice something here. The disciples looked at what they didn't have. Jesus looked at what he did have. God can multiply anything that you have in your life. If you will give what you have to the Lord, he can multiply what you have to make sure that you have enough to meet your need. You just have to give it to him. And you say, well, does that mean I got to take all my money and drop it in the offering plate? No, but it means you need to be willing to. Or wherever the Lord would have you give it. I'm not trying to make this about a church offering. But it's about your willingness to trust the Lord with what you have to do with what you have that you can't do with what you have. Because if what you have is not enough to meet your need, but he gives seed to the sower, the question is, are you a sower? Because if, you are, if you're a sower, what you have is a seed that will multiply into something else. And it could be a miracle that happens instantly, or it could be something you plant into the ground, and then you see the manifestation of it in a month or two months or three months or six months or however long it takes. But if what you have isn't enough, you need to take it out of your hands and release it and give it to God and trust that it's enough to turn your situation around. Look at what you do have, not at what you don't have. If you have a $100 bill to pay and you only have $10 to pay it, thank God that you have $10 and believe him for increase. And part of what you might need to do with that $10 is take it and give it. Take it and sow it. Give it into a ministry. Give it into somebody that needs help. Wherever the Lord would tell you to give that thing, give money and trust him. Because a lot of times people say, well, I'm trusting the Lord. Do you give? Well, you know, okay, your answer is you're not trusting the Lord. Because faith without corresponding actions is dead. If you say you believe God, but you don't have any corresponding actions to the area you're saying you believe him in, you don't really trust the Lord. Your faith is dead. So we have to look at what we do have and trust the Lord with, with whatever it is that we have in our possession that we can give to him to see him do something that we're not able to do. But the, the next thing I want to point out here is he said, Jesus said to them, make the people sit down. You know what that is? It's a posture of rest. Because Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 6, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. You know what that is? That's a position of rest. 
But most of the time, what we do is like, oh, man, I got to have this, and I got to have that, and how am I going to make this come about, and I need to do this, and I got to do that. Like, we get into that, that kind of mentality of how we're going to make this thing work. At least I could speak for me, but I think I'm speaking for a lot of people in the room. We do that, and what we do, and there's nothing wrong with working hard and all that. I'm, I'm for all of that. But we get into this, we can get into this frenzy on the inside trying to make something happen. What we need to do is pull back and say, you know what, Lord? You're going to give me wisdom for this, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my rest in you. I'm going to sit down on the grass because there's plenty of it right there that I can sit down in a place of rest, and you're going to give me what it is that I need. That's right. And, it, you know, that reminds me, too, a lot of Psalms 23. It, because, you know, David knew that the Lord was his shepherd, and it says that he made me to lie down in green pastures, and he brought me beside still waters so that when he went through the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't have to fear any evil. David was already positioned and seated in this place of rest and refreshment with the Lord. And when whenever he would go through things, he knew who his source was. He knew who his God was, so he knew it was no problem yeah. for the Lord. Right. And it's, you know, because here's the thing, like if we're if we're standing, if we're not postured to rest, and we all know this because we've all done these mental gymnastics of like, okay, if I do this, then what will happen? And if I don't do this, then what will happen? And, and how come? And what if? And maybe not. And, you know, that isn't a place of rest that keeps us all worked up and in this frenzy when sometimes all we do need to do is just sit down and thank the Lord and remind ourselves of who our God is and that he is well able and right. testimonies then come and then when we have testimony we can go forward because and it builds our trust relationship with the Lord like he did it once he'll do it again yeah so amen amen that's right on I want to look at this last verse here and then we're going to quit in verse 11 it says and Jesus took the loaves and when he had what given thanks remember point number one Give thanks first. Jesus gave thanks. He distributed. He didn't lift it up and go, oh, God, what are we going to do? This is all we have. <laughs> Father, what are we going to do? He said, thank you, Lord, for what we already have. He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. Somebody say more than enough. More than enough. Somebody say El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Not El Cheapo. <laughs> you <laughs> can get that smart water. <laughs> no. Amen. Yeah, he's the God of more than enough. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good stuff? Yes. Hallelujah. Let's read one more verse, and I'm going to pull it up there because I won't preach from up there as easy as I will here, and I want to close <laughs> with this. Let's go to 1 Kings. It's chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 8 through 16. you got to see this. You know this, but I want you to see it anyways. And this is the exact same. How do we same, not preach on this? Huh? We're not going to preach okay. on it because I'll we're out be of time. Quiet. Okay. All right, so listen, this is, the, this is the same idea of taking something that's not enough, giving it to the Lord, and then watching what he does with it. So it says, then the word of the Lord came to him, speaking of Elijah the prophet, saying, Arise, go to uh, Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Now, I want to point something out here. <laughs> he commanded the widow, but you're going to see here that, that the widow was not aware that the Lord had commanded her yet. See, God can have things at work behind the scenes, and it can still look like God's not working, but still he's at work anyways. Come on. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Your in hand. your hand. Whoa. So she said, as the Lord your God lives... I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it second. No, first. You know what he was saying? Give to God first. Which, I mean, it could sound a little bit arrogant on his part to say, give to me and I'm the same thing as God. But in this instance, it was the same thing. He was the prophet of God that was sent to go there. And for her to give to him was the same thing as giving to God first. And it says, and bring it to me and afterward, make some for yourselves and your son. Wow. 
That's that is if you think about that, that's that's quite an audacious statement to have this this guy traveling through or coming to this place. And you have a widow woman, which meant that she lost her husband somehow and she had a son and they didn't have enough to live on. And he said, actually, before you take the last thing that you have that's going to cause you to live for X number of days beyond that meal, I want you to go ahead and give that to me first. That's incredible. And you know what? Keep on reading. Oh, it says until the Lord sends rain on the earth and then the next part. It says, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. If I had been there, I would have said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, that's just crazy. And, and she and he in her household ate for many days. Next verse and last verse. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Trust God with what you do have. Trust him with what you do have and watch how he'll bring increase. And can I just add just a little bitty piece, a little nugget, is that she sowed the seed into Elijah, not knowing that it's actually going to provide provision for her son and for her even in the future. Because it goes on to talk about that her son died and Elijah prayed for him and raised him yeah. for the dead. If Elijah hadn't have been there then maybe her son wouldn't has, have risen. And she didn't know the things that she was doing right now was actually something she was going to get to reap in her future. We're always, when we always sow seed, you need to have the mentality that then you are always in a state of harvesting. So not only are you sowing seed, you're in and you have that wait period, but then once you've been sowing seed, then you should have a constant Harvest. That's right. That's right. Amen. You know, when God does something, he basically never does one thing at a time. That's he's right. extremely efficient. And whenever he's doing one thing, there's always something else going on. Almost, I could go back and look at almost always whenever God did something, there was a divine alignment. There was some kind of thing going on. There was a miracle that happened. There was a provision that took place. There was always more than one thing. Maybe sometimes three or four or five things that God was doing all at the same time. He's incredible. And so when he tells you to do something, you don't always know what it is that's going to be on the other side of it. I don't know all the details behind why her son died, but God knew her son was going to die. And God knew that not only was he going to provide supernaturally for Elijah and for the widow woman and for her son, but when the son died, God knew it was going to happen. And he already sent Elijah there knowing that he had the power to raise him up. You might you might be one sacrificial gift away from seeing the miracle that you need in your life. One and act it's, of obedience. And it's not a yes, and it's not about God going, Well, now you're obedient enough, I'm gonna bless you. That's not it. But it's about positioning yourself in the right place to receive what it is that God has for you. Thank you for those three amens. That should have been a resounding amen from everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody say amen. amen. Stand to your feet and I'm going to bless you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.